So we're going to be jumping around Proverbs a little bit. Uh, The first passage is from Proverbs chapter 16, verse 3. Commit your way to the Lord and your plans will be established. Proverbs 16, 9. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. And then back one chapter to Proverbs 15, verse 22. Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors they succeed. This is the word of God. Well, morning and welcome everyone. I'm Jeremy. I'm the lead pastor here. Great to have you with us this morning and to be with you. Um, we've been away, so most of my annual leave is around uh, the beginning of the year. And so we were away pretty much uh, a little bit more of, of a week after Christmas till just last week. And um, I was saying to someone before church, it feels a little bit like Chelsea was saying, it's like that, that old Brendan Fraser movie where he's a, his dad is paranoid in the 60s about there being a nuclear crisis, so they go into a bunker for 30 years and then they come out and everything's changed. I feel like when I left Sydney, no one even knew anyone who had Rona. I come back and everyone's like, I had it, I had it, I've got it right now. No, no, one's, no one said that. <laughs> that would be quite alarming. Um, but I kind of feel like all the cool kids have had it and I feel a little bit left out. <laughs> Um, but it's, a, it's been an interesting, interesting start to the year. And look, I don't mean to make too much light of it. I realize probably for, for some of you it's been well anywhere from the difficulty of having plans cancelled to actually feeling like somewhat mildly to significantly anxious about it. But I just want to reassure you that despite this being a, a rumbly start to the year and despite it being the case that, yes, probably 2022 is going to be a bit of a back and forward kind of difficult sort of year, to know that this isn't a surprise for Jesus, and this isn't a shock when you read the scriptures, that in Luke 21, Jesus prepared his disciples even before his death, saying, be ready, things will get weird from here. He says to them, you'll hear of wars and tumults, and don't be terrified, for these things must take place before the end. He says to them, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There'll be earthquakes and famines and pestilences, pandemics, And there will be terrors and great signs. And he says, do not be afraid. Jesus is still on the throne. He's still working his purposes out and building his church. This stuff has been happening before we were born and will continue long after if you are a follower of Jesus, long after you've been brought home to heaven. And so on that, we just want to be confident in the gospel that God is working out his purposes and that this isn't outside of his plan. He's not up in heaven panicking, what do I do, what's going on? Just to know that God will continue to build his church, even as he has worked among our faith community, he will continue to build his church globally. And so in that, we can have real confidence. But the other thing as well is it's it's fitting to start the year looking at Proverbs and at God's call to be wise people because there is probably no better context for growing in wisdom than adversity. In fact, if you reverse it, it's very rarely the case that you grow as a wise person without facing adversity. And so it's very, very well could be the case that this is the year that God uses to grow you in becoming wise, in becoming a follower of him who understands how things work in his world and who steps out your life according to God's wisdom in a uniquely Jesus-following way. Because the truth is that wisdom is not about being smart. It's not about predicting the future. In fact, one of the themes that comes through in Proverbs that even has been, has been preached on so far is that wisdom is not the same as intelligence. You can be super smart and your life can be a complete train wreck. In fact, you've probably met people who got like 
I knew people back in the day who got 100, when you could get 100 in the HSC, before someone who didn't get 100 got promoted to a top position in the DET and said, nobody can ever get 100 from here on out, right? That's done with. But back in that day, I knew people who, who got 100 in the HSC and yet re- continually in their relationships in life just repeated the same mistakes over and over again. They were not living wisely. But God is not calling us to be super smart. He's not calling us to be the most successful, but he does call his people to be wise. And says, if you listen to me, if you open my word and hear what I say and put it into practice, you will become wise people. And wouldn't that be a goal for 2022? To be able to say at the end of the year, I actually feel like in God's grace, I've grown in wisdom. I've grown to become someone who is actually more wise than I was a year ago. And we have everything we need to grow in this, even in a year that's so crazy. Because we know from Proverbs, and we're going to see from Proverbs today, that if you want to grow wise as someone who plans according to God's wisdom, you're going to need three things. You're going to need to know that God is fully sovereign, and yet our actions matter. You're going to need to know that God's will is more important than ours. And you're going to know that you need help. And with those three things... Even in a pandemic, you can grow in wisdom in planning. So I'm going to pray that God will be doing that work in our community. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would make us wise. We know that in the gospel, we accept that we have not been wise, that we've been even foolish, even sinful, and yet your mercy has met us exactly where we are. That because of Jesus, we are forgiven and made new. Because of his blood poured out for us, our sin is washed away. And because of your wisdom, we've been restored to relationship with you. And so we pray that you would teach us wisdom. That your Holy Spirit would work within us to give us understanding of your word. That you might strengthen us and make us wise. And we pray all of this for the sake of your holy name. Amen. Well, if you are unfamiliar with the book of Proverbs, if you're visiting here for the first time, if you're just trying to understand the faith, or even if you're quite kind of skeptical and you're tuning in online, the book of Proverbs is a book, really, a collection of wise sayings. And part of the beauty of God's Word is that not every book is the same, and not every book can be read the same way. Some books are mainly narrative. It's a story from one end to the other. And so each chapter builds on the story that was kind of building from the last. Other, other books of the Bible are letters to a particular audience, and so it's addressing particular issues. But wisdom literature, and particularly Proverbs, is written as a series of sayings. That means that one chapter doesn't necessarily connect to the next. However, you are meant to read the whole of the book of Proverbs as one thing, because the same theme will keep popping up again and again and again. And as you come back around to it, after having read through wisdom on other topics, the idea is that you'll grow in wisdom and understanding of God's Word. So you're meant to chew on this stuff, to think about it deeply. This isn't meant to be like spiritual fast food. You don't just grab a verse and then go. You're meant to think deeply on each verse. And so we're going to look at just three or four key verses that all rhyme on the same theme, that of planning, and what Proverbs teaches us about this throughout the book of Proverbs. And the first thing to to see from the book of Proverbs, from Proverbs 16.9, is this truth here. In Proverbs 16.9 we read that the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Now for one short verse, there's a lot of theology in there. It says the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. 
That means that God is both sovereign and yet we are free and that our decisions and actions matter. The Bible teaches that God is completely sovereign and yet that we, are, we have agency and that those two truths are true at the same time. Now, a temptation is to go one side or the other to say, look, God is completely sovereign. And therefore, if that were the case, then it's kind of like, well, nothing's really my fault. I, you can't hold me accountable. I'm just a puppet or a pawn in his great game, and so none of it matters. But then the flip side would be to say, no, we're completely free. Therefore, God is really just a spectator of human history, a kind of a passive bystander just watching it all unfold before him. But the truth of Proverbs is that actually we make plans and we have agency and action and it matters. We will be held morally accountable for what we do. And yet God is fully sovereign. It teaches both of these things at the same time. Now, if you're tuning in or you're here and you're a skeptic of the faith, you're like, this is exactly the kind of thing, the, exactly the kind of teaching why I don't believe the Bible. This is kind of classic Orwellian doublethink, trying to hold on to two irreconcilable truths at the same time. This is why I don't believe it. But even if you are agnostic or even atheist, you don't really get off the hook that easily when it comes to the question of are we determined or are we free? In fact, no matter who you are, no matter what your religious or non-religious background, this is a truth that you have to wrestle with. That philosophers throughout the ages have, tr have wrestled with, are we just another link in a chain of causes that are random that don't, don't even matter? Or do our actions matter? Is justice a real thing? Everyone has to wrestle with this truth. And the way the Bible teaches it, is that we are finite creatures who are not able to fully understand it, but God is fully sovereign, and yet we are fully accountable for our actions, that the two go together at the same time. And this, Proverbs says, is a key to understanding planning and wisdom, to know that this is true. And if you think about it, it really makes sense that this is wisdom. Because if you believe that the future is completely free, that is, there is no outside determining force, that we are the makers of our own destiny, that level of freedom is actually crushing. That would probably represent maybe the main kind of secular individualist Western view of freedom at the moment, that the future is, is open to you, it's what you make it. There is no God, there is no supernatural force guiding human history. It is what we make it. And it's also true that most people, because of that, are crushed by that very freedom. They can't relax because they feel like everything depends on me. If I have one life to live and if I make one wrong decision, if I choose the wrong career, if I marry the wrong person, if I make one bad financial decision, I've basically missed my shot and that's it, I'm done. In fact, it's the theme of a lot of recent books that describe that one of the problems in terms of happiness in a rich society like ours where you have so many options and so many opportunities and so many things is that no one can ever be happy because even if, you, even if you had some way of proving that you objectively have the best relationship or the best career or the best possible circumstances, you'll never know it. So whatever you have, you'll always be plagued or haunted by the thought that maybe I could have something better. Maybe this is a really good job or this is a really good life circumstance, but I could be missing out on something even better. And so it breeds into our culture a constant sense of FOMO. We even, even when things are working out, there's a kind of a, a restlessness because there's a belief that maybe we're missing out on something else. Now, the belief that we are totally free and the future is completely open is crushing. It isn't bringing human thriving. 
But if you flip it the other way, if you were to believe that God is sovereign only, then that would lead to a kind of a, a paralysis, wouldn't it? You're like, God is just going to work everything out anyway, so what's the point of doing anything? I'll just eat, drink, and be merry. What's the point of trying? What's the point of doing anything? God's going to do what he's going to do, and there's nothing to it. And I would say that view is probably what almost most closely simulates what people are feeling now a little bit in the pandemic. It's like there's this unseen, all-powerful force that's just ruining all plans anyway, so what's the point? And interestingly, there is, there is a kind of a fatalism that has started to creep into, I guess, wealthy Western societies that a lot of the world has faced previously. Speaking to some missionaries from a context over in Europe where people had a sense that, or had a clear understanding that the government that they lived under was entirely corrupt. And because of that, nobody planned things or tried to make the future better because you're like, what's the point? Someone's just going to take a bribe or someone's going to, if I build up my business, someone's just going to pay the government and take it from me anyway. So, so what's the point of doing anything? And there's a fatalism that kind of sets in. And I think there's a similar thing with the pandemic. Even as people think about this year, it's like, what's the point of trying to do anything or making any grand plans? Because in the end, who knows what's going to get cancelled? But now Proverbs says wisdom is knowing that God is completely sovereign, but that your actions do matter. He works through that and works his purposes out through that. And so what that means is that if you succeed, you can't be built up with pride like you are, you are the person who has worked out human history and has worked out how to get the system working for you because you know that God is actually at work within you and there are things outside of your control. But it also means that you don't have to feel like, well, everything is just pointless. There's no point planning forward. No, actually God is working through things and will continue to work. So plan. You should plan to do good to others, to work well, to rest well, to build friendships and relationships, to spread the gospel, to do justice. These things that God calls us to still matter even in the middle of a pandemic. God is working it through. God is sovereign. And so that's the first thing to know from Scripture, that God is sovereign and yet our actions matter. And so we are to carry out, living out that reality. But the second one is this. We're to seek God's will over our own. Look what it says in Proverbs 16.3. It says, Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. Now, I've heard this proof texted over and over to where it kind of works out to basically be just do something and then pray afterwards and God will bless it. Right? Commit your work to the Lord and the Lord will bless it. So you do whatever... You pray about it, and then God rubber stamps it. Now, if you, obviously, if you follow that through to its logical conclusion, that can't possibly be what it's meaning. Otherwise, you could be like, I just boosted a car. God, I pray that the cops wouldn't find me. And God's up there in heaven being like, oh, I was going to get mad at you about that, but you, you did it. You prayed the prayer. Really wish I hadn't put that verse in the Bible, right? Of course, that can't be what it means. Now, what it does mean, he says, commit your work to the Lord. That is, Make every effort to work for his purposes and your plans will succeed. That's kind of the opposite of just doing whatever and then praying afterwards that God would bless it. Or it's the opposite of doing something that you're kind of pretty sure is okay, but uh, hopefully I'll pray about it and God will just work it out. Or it's the opposite of just doing something that you're pretty sure is not okay and then just praying that somehow it works out well. Now Proverbs says, commit your work to the Lord. Be as sure as you can that what you are doing is pleasing to God. And then he says, this is guaranteed to succeed. It can't go wrong. 
Why? Because if God is sovereign, then his plans will never fail. And therefore, anything done to please God is worth doing. Now, that doesn't mean that every intention we have or every plan that we have will succeed in the way that we hope it will. But Proverbs is saying, if you commit your work to the Lord, if you are leaning into doing what you can to honor God, it will succeed. You can almost think of it in this way. If you're a part of the Allied effort after D-Day, it might be the case that your particular division or platoon doesn't succeed in your particular battle. But from that point on, victory was assured, and therefore every effort to that end mattered toward the final victory. If God is bringing all of human history to one end, then anything done towards that end counts and matters. Any work committed to honoring God and loving Him and loving the people around us in a way that honors Christ matters. And this theme is echoed through the Bible. That's why Jesus says to His disciples, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be given you as well. That's why in Corinthians, Paul writes, Therefore, my brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. That's why again in Proverbs it says, Many are the plans in the mind of man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Proverbs teaches us that it's wise to see God's will over our own. Because anything done toward that end will succeed. Anything done toward that end will matter. And it's also true that the opposite is the case. There is a warning here that if you do not commit your work to the Lord, that even if you succeed, you will fail. You know, Jesus told a parable of someone who is successful in every possible worldly sense. He tells the parable of a man who built a farm. It reaped in an absolute harvest. He made money off it, so he built bigger and bigger barns so he could store it, so he could get richer and richer and richer. And the parable concludes with this. He dies and God says to him, You fool, this very light, your, night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? It was foolish to succeed without considering what God's will is. That he missed the very point of life itself. The only thing worse than failing is succeeding at something that doesn't matter. Proverbs says if you're going to plan and think things through, you should think them through as to how it is that this is going to be for God's will, for His good and for His glory, that we might find joy in Him. This is the second principle of wise planning. But the third one is this, not to trust yourself but to get counsel or to get help. In Proverbs 15.22 it says, Without counsel plans fail, but with many advisors, they, they succeed. There are, there are two kind of errors that this proverb addresses. The first one is that it says here that with many counselors, oh sorry, with counsel plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. That if you're to make a decision by yourself without consulting anyone, this is what Proverbs regards as foolishness. And we live in a very individualistic society. And so... It is the case that we are told over and again that no one knows the best except for you, that we ultimately are the masters of our own destiny. And so we can obviously feel under no obligation to consult anyone when we're making major life decisions. But Proverbs actually says this is not wise. This is not from wisdom. And I, I, can, I relate to it in some ways because I, I myself am an internal processor. 
Last year, uh, I had a review for my position here as, as senior leader, and as part of that, they go through a, like a Myers-Briggs thing. Has anyone done one of those personality tests? Yep, you find out you're this, that, and the other, and the words don't really correlate to the concepts, but you kind of get the idea in the end. But one of the things that was kind of identified, and I'd known it about myself, was that I tend to want to solve problems internally. So I'll just think and think and think on them until I feel like I've got a solution. And in some ways that can be helpful because it, it can help to think through right to the bottom really difficult sort of problems. The unhelpful characteristic of it is that I can often feel like I've solved something in my mind and then present it to everyone else already completely solved. Now if you're married to me, that is more a curse than a blessing. If you work on a staff team with me, that also can be more of a curse than a blessing because sometimes I can come with ideas and then when other people start to poke holes in them, I get really annoyed and upset about it because I'm like, no, I've already solved this, right? But oftentimes it's taught me that as, as that happens, as we go through the process, when I present like an, an idea to the team or something like that and I start to see that there are issues with it, you start to realize that maybe I don't know everything. Maybe actually having other people's input who are godly and wise actually gives me a better perspective on where we're really at. Proverbs says it's foolish to make plans without wise counsel, to just make them by yourself because you're going to miss things. And we live in a city that pushes you to make major life decisions quickly because the sense, even going back to what we were saying before, is that if I miss this opportunity, I'm, I may well ruin my life. I may miss out on the opportunity of a lifetime, so I need to do something now. And it rushes us into making quick decisions. And what we often miss is that when it comes to major planning for the future or major decisions around job, relationships, where to live, finance, when we make quick decisions on that, what we often miss is that we think we're making one decision when we're really making ten. So let's say, for example, a job opportunity comes up. And it seems like the only decision to make is, do I take this job or do I not? But the truth is, there's a web of other decisions and relationships that are connected to that one decision, aren't they? It's not just a decision about a job. If a new job in includes more travel time, that's going to affect your ability to rest and to switch off. If a new job includes more responsibility, that's going to affect your ability to be present if you live with people or if you are married or with a family. That's going to affect your ability to be present there. It's going to affect your ability to be present with other people you are connected to. If it involves moving cities, that's going to mean a break in relationships and church community. It's going to mean uprooting and, and, and replanting somewhere else. If it involves a new company with a work culture that compromises your Christian beliefs as a follower of Jesus, that too is going to affect things massively. Now I could go on and on and on, but you get the idea, right? It's not just one decision, it's many. And if you are just making decisions in isolation you may well miss the implications, the full implications of what one decision will lead to. That's why Proverbs says, in, in the abundance of counselors, without counsel plans fail, but with many advisors they succeed. It's calling us to slow down. And it should be the case that we should have a wise instinct to say, if I need to make a decision quickly, where I don't have enough time to get proper counsel on this, it's probably a no straight away. And for one very good reasons, a reason. That to develop the habit of making major life decisions rashly and quickly, even if it works out the first time, is not setting you up for a wise future, is it? Just think of it in this way. If you learnt 
that the earth is round because you read it on the back of a bus seat. You got lucky. It would be unwise for all future endeavors towards knowledge if they were, if they were basically like, I'm gonna, everything I'm going to know about life, I'm going to find on the back of a bus seat. Everyone understands that's not going to lead to wise living or to thriving as a person, is it? And in the same way, if maybe you made a decision once like that and it kind of worked out, it's very fortunate. But Proverbs would say that's not a pattern of wise decision making. Now the pattern is you get counsel from advisors who love Jesus and they love you and who have a pattern of life that demonstrates that. And if you do that, you're going to make good decisions and make good plans. And so it guards against the first error of making decisions in isolation, but it also guards against the second error of getting foolish advice. See, the other thing this passage says is get counsel from advisors. It doesn't say get a hot take from anyone who's willing to have a punt. It says get counsel from advisors. That means wise insight from people who really know God and who really know you. Down at the skate park, and I've been there a few times with the kids, and once even by myself, there's, a, there's surprisingly a lot of deep chat that goes on there. And I was trying to work out why this was, and I think it's the case. Look, there's a, it's a largely kind of male space, and, um, and men often have difficulty talking face-to-face. And so the skate park is like one opportunity where you can be just side-by-side, side, just watching things go by. And so that's a good context for talking about something that you really didn't feel like you could bring up face-to-face. And so I think that's why, I, I, over a series of times, I've had a lot of like surprisingly deep discussion in a space where you probably wouldn't quite expect it. But down there, I've heard a lot of things, from everything from recovering from divorce to getting off drugs to uh, dealing with financial debt and planning. All this kind of stuff goes down there. And I would love to say that I've heard a lot of wisdom, but what instead I've heard is a lot of just having a go. There's a lot of counsel down there you would not describe as wise counsel. And it matters because the people that you get counsel from will affect the kind of decisions that you make. Proverbs here is saying you need to get wise counsel from advisors. That is not advice from just anyone. You should have, when it comes to a major life decision, four or five people who you really trust, who you know have walked with the Lord and who are wise that you could actually, could actually bounce ideas off. People who love you enough that they will tell you things that maybe sometimes you don't want to hear, but also that you can trust enough knowing that if they say yes, it's not because they always say yes, but because they really think this is a wise decision. People who could really get your input. Proverbs says if you're going to be wise, you're going to need help. It's foolish to plan in isolation. It's foolish to get counsel just from anyone. But it says to get counsel from wise people, from advisors, is how you plan wisely. It's how you make good decisions that honor Christ, that bring thriving to relationships and friendships. Now, as we get to this part of Proverbs, you might be feeling a bit like, well, well I don't feel like I've lived like this. Or maybe it's the case you're like, look, I've, I've done it all the opposite up until this point in my life. It feels like my life is just is a hot mess of decisions that have gone completely the other way. And if you're feeling that, that's all right, because to be wise means to know God and to know the gospel. And what's so amazing about the gospel is that Jesus didn't die for wise people. He died for fools like you and me. 
And the gospel teaches us one profound truth, that redemption is more beautiful than perfection. That God's work through the gospel in our lives is not to take perfect people and recruit them for his team, but to take sinners who've made a mess of things and to make them new. Just look at God's word in Ephesians 2, 1-10. It says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. See, why does God save? Or who does God save even? Does he save wise people? No, it says he saves sinners. People who were dead in sin unable to contribute anything to their salvation. Those are the ones whom God poured out his grace upon. People who are spiritually bankrupt, unable to offer nothing to ransom our own souls, says these are the people to whom God has been rich in mercy. And why did he do it? It says because of his great love he made us alive together with Christ so that he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. If you feel like your life has been or is a mess, then you're a perfect vessel through which God may demonstrate his mercy and may display for everyone to see his immeasurable kindness and his grace and everything that we have in Christ Jesus. The message of the gospel is that redemption is more beautiful than perfection. And that's why, that's why we love redemption stories, isn't it? You can hear a story about someone who made every great decision from birth to death. You probably suspect that it didn't quite play out the way that they're sort of describing it anyway because we know the truth about sin. But also, when you hear a story of a life that was completely one way and got turned around, we love hearing that. And the reason for it is because it echoes the, the true story, the story of the gospel, which is that we're all dead in our sin and yet we're made alive in Christ. That we contributed nothing to this. The God himself is the one who has saved us. And the truth is, if you really want to understand wisdom from Proverbs, you need to understand the gospel. And you need to understand the cross. Because isn't the cross that teaches us both about human responsibility, but God's sovereign goodness? Where more clearly in Scripture do we see that than at the cross where Jesus died for sinners? Where God used the wickedness of wicked people to bring about the greatest good ever? Doesn't the cross teach us that God's will is what we are to live for? That it was Christ who was in the garden anticipating the cross who prayed, not my will but yours. Doesn't the cross teach us that we need help, that we are sinners, that we shouldn't rely upon ourselves but we need others around us and we need God's means of grace to help us? The truth is that if you don't understand the truth of, the, of Proverbs deeply, and what it has to say about planning and honoring God and being wise, you need to understand the gospel. And so I'm going to pray that over this year, though this year might be a bumpy ride, that God would be teaching us to plan wisely. That he might be growing in us a wise community where there is an abundance of counselors, 
people who know God and who follow him and who give good insight and advice, and that we might be a people that trust his sovereign plan and yet know that he has called us to do good for the sake of his name. Let's pray together. Father, we praise you that you love us and that you speak to us through your word. Father, we ask that you would grow us in wisdom. We pray that in this we would not forget your grace and your goodness. That this would drive your truth deeper into our hearts. That we would remember that you are sovereign. That we'd remember that your will is what ultimately will triumph in human history. And that we'd remember that we need help and we need grace. And Father, we pray that you would do this for the sake of your holy name. Amen.